Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Sam. Would you rather eat a tomato or mushroom? Oh, bro, that's Did you expect me to do that? No, I'm glad you picked that, but (laughs) you just picked two things I really don't like. Now, if I'm going to break that down logically, um, I like ketchup and salsa and tomato sauce, but I hate tomatoes. Right. But there's no byproduct of a mushroom that I like. Yes, So I may have to select a tomato. What? You love my risotto, which has truffle sauce in it. That's true. But yeah, I don't know that I would fully claim that to be the fullness of mushroom as much as like salsa is fullness of tomato. Cream of mushroom, casseroles. Yeah, I made it a point when I graduated (laughs) from my house to not ever do cream of anything. So if I put a tomato in your mouth right now... I would vomit all over your face. What would you do if I put a mushroom in your mouth? (laughs) I would say a lot of expletives. Okay. So mushroom What would you make me eat it? Would you make me eat the mushroom? Chew it up. You got to chew it up. You don't have to swallow it. I might vomit all over your face then. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd ask. It's a different way to to be here with you today. um, I'm excited because we're actually back in studio. We're not on that on the airwaves where we're trying to connect all over the world. And so we're actually seeing people and I can see you. And We are distanced. We are socially distanced. Even though we've already had it. Right. We're still going to honor the rules for for our guests. Protect our guests. Yes. Absolutely. What Who, ta- I'm very excited. Well, tell us because we're in this series on abuse and it's really, I'm not going to lie, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm learning so, so much about so much. You know, at the risk of like making every podcast episode our own therapy session, because that's the temptation um, is to like, we have all these incredible people on um, and I'm just so curious. I've been just so curious. One of the things that I want to talk about today, we're focusing on substance abuse, um, substance disorder. We're going to talk about this. And we have on the show today, Jessica Wheeler Masias, who is a program of voice. Her job is a program of voice. Um, she's the director of VASA in McLennan County and the coalition coordinator for VASA, which is voices against substance abuse. Um, When I looked at the categories of abuse according to Child Protective Services, um, I think one of the things that was just right under our noses, of course, in our population, is the prevalence of substance use and substance abuse. But I I wasn't acknowledging it for a whole podcast. And I'm like, why? Why aren't we doing a podcast on right. this? Yeah. Like this makes so much sense because so many other abuses are are linked into this, mm-hmm. and especially in family systems. And so I'm so excited to have Jessica on the show today as an expert, but also as um, a survivor who is going to inform us just some of her own personal journey. So welcome to the show. Yay. Thank you, guys. Jessica. Thank you. We're so excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. So the first thing we're going to jump into is... Let's define what substance abuse or substance use disorder is and why I'm interchanging that. We can go into that next, but give us a definition for what is substance abuse. So when we talk about substance abuse or substance use disorder, what we're talking about is chemical dependency, Mm -hmm. being addicted to uh, the drug, alcohol, what have you. Um, to the point where a person cannot quit on their own with sufficient reason. Mm -hmm. They um, require additional resources and help. 
So mm-hmm. it could be alcohol, could be drugs, could be prescription drugs, mm-hmm. um, could even be uh, things that are sold at gas stations. Yeah. So like what? Oh gosh. Like those little roses. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I, I, it took me forever to figure out what's the rose for, and I'm like, Wait, "What? What are you? You know those little glass roses that they have in the case? That's like for the, smoking weed." I was gonna say, like, are you talking <gasps> about a pipe? Yeah, the little things. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? They have them in Robinson no, everywhere. No, that's that's like paraphernalia. Yeah, that is that is absolutely. If you're buying that, it's most likely for for that substance, correct? Yeah, or parachute paper or any of that stuff. Yeah. So, but um, you're talking about the stuff you can get addicted to. Yes. Are you talking about like five hour, oh, the five hour stuff. energy or, or we, the... we have um, we have substances here that are being sold. For instance, one of the one of our biggest issues right now that we're facing is something called kratom. Hmm. Um, it's Absolutely oh, legal. Yes, great. Yes, like, yes, yes. It's illegal. It's a hallucinogenic. It's illegal, and it's it's available. And is it like Kush or something like that? No, 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 no. no. It's a it has it has an opioid like effect mm. on oh, the brain, wow. and we have people who have been addicted to um, either prescription drugs or other substances who want to try to taper off themselves without asking for help from, you know, a medical doctor. And so they go about it their own way and they use these substances to help those cravings Mm -hmm. because, you know, being dope sick is not fun. What I understand, it's not where you want to be. And so they use these substances are being sold, um, which, you know, who knows who's mixing it and what's really in it, but Mm. they take enough of that and, um, and they don't get as sick. Whereas in a medically controlled situation, Mm. you would, probably take something along the lines of methadone that's yeah. administered by a professional and monitored and mm-hmm. kind of helps you come off those the, that sickness. Yes, mm. yes. So you said this kratom is illegal? Totally legal. Totally legal. you can legal. get it at a gas station? You can get it at head shops, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen situations where it's been at gas stations. I typically find it at, at the head shops, the smoke yeah. shops. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So when we're talking about a chemical dependency, talk to us about what is happening. This is why we would call alcoholism a disease. Mm, this yeah. is why we call addiction a disease. Um, what is that disease? What's happening in the brain It's and the es- body? Well, essentially, you know, there are different stages of substance use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many individuals will begin in a very fun way, you know, at a party or, mm-hmm. I mean, we all have stories, right? You know, going to high school and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Boone's farm and whatever oh, yeah. it is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How many stories? Strawberry Hill. Exactly. <laughs> Fuzzy <hear> Navel. <laughs> Which one? Hey Which one you want to talk about? There was a purple one. There was, yeah, he was the perfect Baptist drink in boy. high school. As long as there was Coca-Cola, we're good. Good job. I know. Thank well, job. he's in therapy now for other reasons, <laughs> but, um, but what, there was a purple boons, and I don't remember mm. what it was. My cousin really liked that one. Oh, um, gosh. I don't know. Anyway, so yes, we've all been at parties. Yeah. We've all had fun. Yeah. So it may start with dabbling. Absolutely, okay. especially when there's really no true negative consequence. You know, yeah. what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, honestly, is you're crashing mom and dad's car, right? And that's oh. pretty, that's pretty significant, right? Yeah. Um, or but, a cop's best, and you get an MIP, oh, minor in possession. Gosh, Man, right, right. All the guys in high school have right, one of those. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, for some kids, they say, you know what, this this is not what I want. I want to play football. I want to do these yeah. things. And so for, with sufficient reason, they quit. And then they're, you know, the select few that are like, you know, they lose whatever that is. And they mm-hmm. say to themselves, you know, I didn't want it anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. But I do know this feels good. Mm. And so they keep going and they cross over and they continue to use and they build up that tolerance mm-hmm. to the substance. And so eventually the when you start talking about the pleasure pain balance, mm-hmm. man, it starts really leading to pain. And and for whatever reason, there's just they just can't. They mm. can't. And, and 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 they start to notice things. They start to notice that. They crave that substance. They start to notice that their their entire life revolves around it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's no longer about being social anymore. It's essentially to keep up with, with that, that craving. So and, the, I have a question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt you right here because sure. I think you're mentioning some really incredible nuance to this. Because a lot of times we go, well, they're a drug abuser and they're not, but you're talking about kind of a continuum of abuse and it is possible because our bodies are like computers that are taking in data all the time and the chemicals and the foods that we ingest, coffee is a drug, Mm -hmm. right? 
And so, yeah, <laughs> I'm watching her face. You guys can't see it. We love our coffee around here. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, and so we get addicted to certain things and we're using and we're using, and then there's kind of this crossover line and that crossover line is different for all of us. Is it possible to abuse something so long that you become an addict? Um, I think using the word abuse, I would say misuse. Okay. Um, you know, misusing your substance. Number one, if you're drinking under the age of 21, you're automatically, you know, that's what it's like. You're misusing. You're, like, yeah. you're not supposed to. There's a law against that. So that's a, a, a pretty good indicator that, you know, you're not, yeah. you're not doing the next right thing. Um, with the kids that I see, though, uh, you know, plenty of them can have negative impact mm-hmm. um, with these substances and eventually kind of grow out of it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, with sufficient reason can stop. Mm-hmm. And either creating a family, getting married, you know, the girl really doesn't like it or the guy doesn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they had a situation where, you know, especially with our, our women, mm-hmm. where uh, misconduct took place while they were, while yeah. they were drinking. Mm-hmm. And they say to themselves, I, you know, this alcohol stuff is just not it. Yeah. Or the drug is just not it. Yeah. And they quit. Mm. Um, but like I said, you have those, I'd say probably about 10% of the population that just say, you know, I'm going to keep going. I can't quit. I can't. No matter the consequences, really, it becomes... It's not even a thought, though. Yeah. That's the craziest part when I meet with these people. And, and, and I love what you guys are doing with these podcasts. You're in search of these, these truths. Mm. Um, very similar to me when it came mm. to this topic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many people I sat down with about... 10 or 15 years ago and mm. just wanted to know their story. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know how this happened. I was trying to make sense of the world kind mm-hmm. of situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what I did. I sat down and I asked those questions. Mm. Like, how did you know? Mm-hmm. When did it click? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And are there common similarities that you find in those stories, kind of threads of the truth? What What is it that's that's the click? Typically, they're the last ones to know they they have the disease. Everyone else knew. Everyone wow. else knew. Yeah. The kids knew. The family knew. The, the employers definitely knew. So you're, you're, it, it, isn't it funny? We just, it's the self-deceit. Mm-hmm. We're just masters at lying to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it usually cuts off at the expense, you know, we're the ones having to live, you know, the enemy with the enemy inside of us. It's like we are our own disaster, and all of us have those areas where it's, it's our blind spot, you know, but it's just a perpetual cycle. And so addiction can do that mm. to an individual and the individual is completely unaware and until there's that wake up call where the negative has gotten so bad, they may have lost everything. Yeah. Yeah. Or they have lost everything. Or they have lost everything. You use the word disease. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think a lot of folks uh, now I, I realize and recognize it's a disease, but I'll tell you this. We became friends with um, some friends in recovery about 10 or 12 years ago. And that when she used the word disease with me, it kind of threw me back because I was thinking, oh, you're just an addict. Like there's not a disease. And, and so I got I was like, T- can I ask you anything? She's like, you can ask me whatever you want about drugs, alcohol, whatever. You've done it all. And she said that her brain, her body interprets those stimuluses completely different than someone else who doesn't have the disease. Can you talk about that for those who might think, well, just stop smoking crack. Like, just stop. Yeah, yeah. And it, it goes like this. So it, uh, it, we talk about the, the normal brain, the, you know, the one that hasn't been impacted by a substance use disorder. And, um, you know, we can... It could be a woman who, for instance, had a bad breakup, right? We'll use that as an example. Mm. And she decides to go out with her friends that night and, uh, you know, goes to the party, whatever, and starts to drink. She wants to forget her problems, essentially. Now, you might say, wow, look at that. That's Mm. kind of, that might be a little bit inappropriate. We're not supposed to cover up our feelings that way. You know, Mm -hmm. you might have that kind of conversation or those thoughts at least. (laughs) But the deal is this, is that she starts to drink and she starts piling it on. And the minute that she feels different, and I'm talking about not the fun different, but the different where 
oh no, I'm going to puke if I don't stop. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. When they reach that point, the brain sort of goes, stop. Mm. Stop. And and they do. Mm. And they do. Now, for the brain that is impacted by substance use disorder, when those feelings, same scenario. Okay. Right? Boyfriend broke up, they're, they're drinking. The thoughts are, this feels good, more is better. Mm. Don't stop now. Don't. Mm. You know, you're dizzy, sit down. Change your environment a little bit. Go outside, come back in. And mm. those are the differences, you know, pumping the brakes and asking for more. And, you know, think about that environment. Same friends, same everything. It's just that the brain is wired for that. They literally do not know why they're taking the next hit. It feels good. It feels amazing. And the idea is that that next drink or the next puff or the next pill is going to take them to the place they really, really want to be at. Yeah, you're just chasing the dragon. Mm. (laughs) That's it. I haven't heard that in forever. Chasing it. I love it. I haven't heard that in forever. Yes. (laughs) Is that a reference to Puff the Magic Dragon? Well, I mean, no. There's there's like a book called, I think, Chasing the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway. Um, Yeah. So... Let's talk about some of these negative consequences. Usually we say, you have a problem if you know there's a disorder. Now, whether you're an alcoholic or not, or, you know, you've got a quantitative disease going on, I don't, I don't know. If there's negative consequences to drug use, then there's a problem. Hmm, not necessarily. No? Not necessarily. Okay. I wish it was that easy. Okay. I've met people who um, who are in recovery, um, and their bottom consisted of that feeling deep down inside that they couldn't go on. They had not wrecked a car. They had not yeah. lost their family. Mm. They still had money in the, in the bank. Mm. But there was a sense of hopelessness and dis-ease inside themselves that they could not conquer. Just a hole in their soul. You hear it all the time. But that's a negative consequence. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's hard but, to see it. So oh I think gosh, typically yes. when you yeah. think negative, you think in DUI, you're thinking oh, yeah. a, a physical abuse or altercation or yeah, something like that. You're thinking that, yeah. And the, the insidious part about this, and it really is, mm. is that debate in your head, which right. is wrong place, wrong time. It's because I turned that corner at that time. I knew the officer would be there. Mm. I'm not really an alcoholic. I just I drove down the wrong street, yeah. right? Yeah. Or I was just dating the wrong man, going back to that example, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And that's what spiraled out of these events that spiraled out of place. Mm. And it's such a game. It's such a game. And, it's, and the results are absolutely devastating, not yeah. just for them, but for the people around them that love them. If someone's listening to our podcast right now and maybe they're teetering a little bit, maybe like even binge, maybe they're weekend warriors out there who are just using recreationally and then that recreational use has become a little more, well, maybe the weekend starts on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it doesn't, you know, um, what, what, what are some things you would say to encourage looking clearly at their patterns. My most, I'm going to tell you right now, I love that you asked that. Okay. And the reason why is because one of my most favorite populations to work with, um, you know, when I'm volunteering outside of VASA, mm-hmm. uh, is, because I do this too, mm-hmm. um, is working with, with binge drinkers mm. and getting to know what's up. And here's the deal. Mm. Um, is that still alcoholism? Yeah. That's still alcoholism. Nobody likes to hear that. Jessica is here and she's not playing games. It's it no, (laughs) and it's the hardest to identify. It's the hardest to identify. So they're sitting there and like, no, I have complete control. Like I don't only do it once a week, twice a week. Yeah. And but when I drink, I drink. Yeah. And I can't tell you what's gonna happen. You know. Yeah. And there's been things that happen. But um, American military. Oh. oh, and you know, we're how far we are from Colleen. Right. I mean, oh right. my right. gosh, the yeah. stories. So it's, you know, when I'm sitting down, I'm asking those questions. 
compared to the what? The everyday drinker that we all think about when we think yeah. about alcoholism. Right. That's what we always go to. It's like, oh, well, you know, yeah. look at her, look at him. Uh, uh-huh. We know it's going to happen, you know. Right. Yeah. But, but there's some, you know, you go on vacation and you come back and you don't really remember much of the vacation other than you've got a plethora of photos to remember. <laughs> like, wow, what yeah. exactly happened? I have a friend who is just an amazing, like she's a fitness instructor. She's, she's great. And she told me she got a DUI when she was in like early to early twenties. Um, and she was, she had just turned like 21 or something and mm-hmm. got a DUI cause she just got blitzed. She had started drinking in high school, but she was totally blitzed. She got in, in trouble. And of course at that time there, she's mandated to go to all these AA meetings mm-hmm. in order, you know, to get, um, for her probation and she's sitting in these meetings and she's like, I am not these people. Like, Oh my gosh, I'm just a stupid 21 year old kid who drove drunk, you know? And Mm -hmm. yeah, I may have drank in high school and done some crazy party tricks, but I'm not really an alcoholic, you know, and fast forward now as, you know, a middle aged woman, she's like, I started recognizing the patterns that every vacation I got on, as soon as I left Mm -hmm. town, all I wanted to do was get, you know, ship faced because I wanted to forget. I just wanted to forget and escape. And then she had a wake up call through her fitness, um, really journey to recognize this is not good for me. I am, you know, misusing, um, alcohol Mm -hmm. and she kind of had the turnaround, but it just, like you're saying, even when you've got the negative consequences, you've, even when you've got the DUI, you're kind of the last to wake up to Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I, okay, we'll skip through that part. Okay, so here's my next question. Skip through what part? Sorry, I got quiet because I was like going to my next question in my head. Oh, skip through the quiet part. Yeah, skip through the quiet part because I'm about to ask my next question. Oh, okay, I've got some questions too. Oh, we'll always jump in when it's quiet. Well, I know. Do you want to ask now or you want me to move on? You just keep going. Okay. Um, so the word abuse has a lot of shame attachment to it. So we've kind of flipped around saying substance abuse or substance use disorder. Let's talk about that conversation. What's happening in the recovery community right now that we might need to make some changes to how we think about this? Well, number one is I'm, I'm new to this area. I moved here from Victoria County, uh, which is South Texas. Uh, and so what a shock to be! This is a lar- much larger community than Victoria. We've got like seventy thousand. This is how, how many people are two hundred three hundred three hundred. Gosh! Go. Oh, this you big time in the, in, the, in the metro area. Yeah, no, Waco. I know. We're a solid medium sized city. And we well, are medium, <laughs> average all the way around, guys. You got more than one Starbucks. It's great. Um, but. What a shock for me when I when I moved here and I was working in prevention education in Victoria County um, and I was a part of DWI court doing things like that as well uh, to McLennan County and I walked into this position uh, for coalition coordinator and one of the first conversations I had was with Baylor University and um, they have a wonderful recovery program mm-hmm. and the first conversation we had was because I was drafting that that needs assessment, the five-year plan, kind of looking at the future of what this coalition can do mm. and, you know, wrote it down and I, and I had, you know, substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, we're really wanting to work on the vibe, the stigma surrounding. And, you know, when someone overeats, when someone, we don't call it food abuse. <laughs> We don't call it. No, we call it great words like gluttony. Yeah. <laughs> Just really makes you feel friendly. That's terrible. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's the stigma surrounding. This is a, a deadly brain disease, mm. you know, um, that really when you cut down to it, no one wants. Mm. No one really wants to be that. No mm. one wants to be an abuser. Mm. Um, and so what we do is we offer that opportunity where, number one, we educate uh, and we talk about the stigma. And language is the very first thing, how we talk about it, mm-hmm. about a deadly brain disease. And so I was so grateful for that meeting. And so I, I carry that message with me. And I'm going to tell you right now, I still make the mistake. I don't know yeah. if it's even a mistake. It's just the transition 
yeah. is hard for whatever reason. Well, because it's still actually under the law defined as abuse. Right. So it really, until we start, you know, it really, it's both coming at a grassroots level. Like when we think about change, mm-hmm. the way change happens is is a both and. It's at grassroots, it's at macro level, and then the convergence is when, okay, now society is on board and we're changing this. When I think about you know, the change to, um, heart disease prevention and things like that, things that kind of started at a grassroots level or gun violence or anything like that. It's kind of has to be both laws and the mamas who are getting mad that their kids are dying in the street or mass shootings. So it, it is a both and movement. And I think for us to rethink Addiction. So, would you change even addiction, or it's still addiction and, and here, okay, is the disease? Look, here's one of my, here's one of my questions for clarity: Is there a difference between addiction and abuse, or substance use disorder? It's one and the same. So, okay. literally, yeah. Because if I if I abuse a substance, does that automatically make me an addict? No, if you miss, if you are, when we say abuse. In other words, if I got drunk one night, does that automatically make no, me an addict? No, it, What you're talking about is misuse. We're trying to incorporate that ah, word more. Misuse. Misuse. I've misused alcohol. I've drank too much, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I've done, that's different than abused. It, it's different, yeah. It's different than, mm-hmm. than, sub, yeah, than substance use disorder. It's absolutely, and so we're, essentially when we talk like that, when we use that type of language, what we're discussing more is kind of that continuum, understanding yeah. beginning to end and the mm-hmm. stages here. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing when I'm talking with our community members is letting them know that not every single child will end up because they're drinking or using drugs right. in need of treatment. Right. It might be family counseling. Yes. It might be church. Right. It might be whatever, but not necessarily treatment. Can yeah. you misuse heroin? That's a good question. And my experience, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, when it comes to certain substances, when we're talking about methamphetamine, when we're talking about heroin, when we're talking about some of those harder, harder drugs out there, um, I've really never met a social heroin user or meth user. Now, they might be out there. Yeah. And you know what? I, because I, I work in this coalition, I would, you know, maybe, maybe one day. S- Socially using heroin. Well, yeah, I've never heard that either. It's and it's because those drugs have addictive components to them, made to wire your brain and body to the drug, right? The, it's pretty powerful, absolutely. So yeah. when you're talking about, yeah, you're talking about nicotine. Con- Nicotine's one, and that's pretty powerful stuff mm-hmm. as well. It's pretty powerful stuff when we talk about tobacco, but when it comes to heroin and methamphetamine. Um, the people who use that substance, that's their substance of choice, go back to it quite quickly, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and the part that is so interesting to me when it comes to methamphetamine, uh, particularly is that I have, uh, a, a large group of people that will absolutely stop that substance. Mm. They've had negative experiences, mm-hmm. um, and will not use for six months, eight months, a year, two years, and use other substances in between. Yeah, I rarely have, and that's been so interesting when I'm when I'm meeting with with the community. Is um, I'm only going to use methamphetamine, or I'm only going to use heroin. Typically, I see other. Yeah, you know. Do you see certain personalities gravitate towards certain drugs? In other words, a Spicoli. What some think? people, some people gravitate towards uppers. Some gravitate towards yeah. downers. Some like to speedball it and do both of them. <laughs> and that's um, these days. Um, you know, I'd have to say no. It's I see more and more people these days saying, "What you got?" Mm. I see that more and more. Um, hmm. Man, it, it 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 is. It's just what do you got? I don't feel good. What do you got? I don't feel good. Ugh. So that breaks my heart on so many levels because it really goes back to, which is why we're doing this series, it goes back to trauma. Mm. And it goes back to ways that we have been either abused, neglected, or abandoned at some point that have left us feeling alone 
and afraid and terrified. And who hasn't felt that way in 2020? I mean, who is really like, man, I am just no negative consequences here in life. You know, I am, I'm living my best year this 2020. I mean, maybe, maybe they're out there There's and, a few. and yeah. they're, fr- they're thriving in it. Um, but for the average person, this has been both politically, um, spiritually, maritally, family-wise, the stress level, and we know that addiction and stress, they are interchangeable. I mean, they impact one another. It's like, who isn't just wanting to go, what you got? Hmm. Like, what you got? You know, there's got to be... Um, there is a hole, there is an ache inside of every person. And it feels like the population that's dealing with the ache is just increasing in number. Like our kids are, are aching more and more and more and experimenting more and more and more because the stress is all going up. I'm not sure if it's more and more and more. I think we're just more, um, apt to talk about it Mm. and the kids are more open about it. Depending, and I've talked to you know older generations and things like that. One thing that has changed is the substances have become more powerful. Yeah, that's what I have seen. Um, you know, when you were talking about a certain type of personality, you know, and I was I'm joked about Spicoli, you know, and, and we don't know Spicoli. You don't know? I don't. Oh know yeah, Spicoli. Fast Times at Ridgemont Oh, Ridge I don't know Hunt. that. You know, I've never seen that movie. I'm a child of the '80s, and I've still never seen oh, it. Well, they just did a table read. It was oh, the best. Yeah, yeah they did it. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> okay, Come we'll have on, to watch man. it. I know. Let's. That go was back. Sean Penn, wasn't it? Oh, yes. In the early days. Yes. Okay. Young Sean Penn. But okay. when you're talking about like those personality types in and, and the movies and film and how, you know, they're portrayed, um, you know, using marijuana and things like that uh, or alcohol, those depressants, we're looking at these substances and the way that they're being f- created. These are like super engineered drugs. We're, you know, we're talking about THC and mm-hmm. Um, and what used to be, you know, when we talk about uh, gateway drugs, you know, kids would go, yeah, 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 yeah. But really, really, I mean, it's when they're smoking, you know, mm. when they start off at 24 and 25% THC, mm. that's where they start. And know? that's the high. That's the high that they're, you know, w- w- you know with, these, with these drugs uh, compared to what back in the 80s what the kids were doing, okay. which was maybe 5 or 6%. Mm. Oh. Maybe. And that's where they're starting. Now, I've got, there are products out there that go all the way up. Yeah, because, because now we've got vapes. We've got so many delivery devices for this and cartridges that can fit in just so much more availability. And that's what we're seeing is we're seeing kids who start off with maybe tobacco or vape, you know, e cigarettes and switching over to marijuana. We're seeing trends like that, you know. And when you're talking about, I don't feel good, trauma, society, availability it all exists hmm. so you know that's that's what we're seeing where it's not it's not for social use the stuff they're hmm. they're creating is just not you know i i have to wonder if you know so socially we've been talking a lot more about mental health mm-hmm. and mental um disabilities and the fact that there's just a lot of people out there that are suffering from depression and anxiety and paranoia mm-hmm. and they look normal and they act quote, quote normal for most people or for even for, for themselves. And they think I don't have depression, you know, like we were talking before we started recording, I don't have anxiety. And then all of a sudden I have these panic attacks. Um, so it's like, whoa, I've got to address what is that about in my own life? So I think what I'm trying to ask is now that we've become more accessible with mental health issues, how does that correlate to substance? What's the first? What's misuse. the phrase? Substance, <laughs> substance misuse. disorder. Subst- substance misuse yes. or substance or which is different from substance use disorder. Mm. Substance use disorder. Yeah. Right. There is an overlap. There is, sure. there is, there's that gap there. And I need my, I want to not feel depressed. And so instead of going to a psychiatrist, because that's a or sign a psychologist of, or that's therapist, a sign of weakness. Uh-huh. So I'm taught. So, so society tells me not so much anymore, but you know what I used to believe. Now I'm going to go to another, Oh, I can get, you know, my, I mean, they do marijuana in California. It's legal. It's fine. 
it's healthier statistically than cigarettes. Let me just try that. Oh yeah, that that's infinitely more complicated, isn't it? When you have other states that are that are legalizing mm-hmm. it, right? What we're looking at, and there's there there, in no way am I saying do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. I, my number one job at Vasa is to explain, mm-hmm. right? And we're mm-hmm. talking about someone who may um, be diagnosed uh, with depression or other mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that those chemicals in the brain can actually be aggravated by these, these types of substances. Mm. And that's why it is so stinking important to stay in contact with your physician. Mm-hmm. I am not a physician. I have yeah. to be really, really careful um, when I'm having this conversation. I always point people back to their doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I do know that with those underlying, you know, what we call the red flags, yeah. um, it's, it's so stinking tricky. Self-medication. Yeah. Um, could really aggravate the situation. Well, you're jacking with your body's chemistry. Gosh, yes. Mm. Anytime you introduce... I mean, when I drink a Coke, that's messing with my chemistry. Mm-hmm. Anything you put in your body, yeah. you're uh, messing with that. It. Yeah. Absolutely. So you would think with these health issues, you would want to definitely consult with your physician. Yeah, absolutely. And how many kids do you know are going to go to their doctor and say, I'm not feeling very good, I want to smoke weed? Right. How many are just living life and it's available and it's there. And when they're not around their parents, they know when they get to have a good time. Yeah. Right. So this prevention message that I carry is a very real one. It's a very real one. If they think that's going to fix it, they may be very, very wrong. In fact, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure they are. Mm. They need to talk to their doctor and uh, get something in place if they have that ability. Mm. Let's talk about what's happening in a family where um, substance use is prevalent, um, substance misuse and some disorders may be prevalent too. Um, Let's talk about that because of, you know, in terms of looking at abuse, when I started researching for the podcast series, um, I... Again, this was right under my nose, and yet I didn't really prepare to talk about it, even though it impacts every area, whether it's sexual abuse and neglect and verbal abuse and all of it um, sometimes can lead to, if you've been victimized by certain abuses, to use and misuse um, substances but it can also be part of the grooming, like in terms of our population for exploitation. It's part of the grooming process to get you numb, to get you hooked on this drug so that I can sell you more times to more people. Um, or so that you are scared because you dissociated and you're out of your body and now you need to trust me, your mom who's been selling you, your dad, the uncle. Um, drugs are often you know, part of that exchange for sexual abuse. So in a family system where there is substance abuse happening or substance use is happening often, talk to us about that context. What's happening in in the family? What's happening to the child? What's happening um, in the... We've talked about the addict, the first part of this, you know, but let's talk about what's happening to the child where there's substance misuse mm-hmm. going on. Absolutely. It really is a ripple effect whether mm-hmm. they know it or not. And it can be, um, you know, when we're, especially in terms of substance misuse or substance use disorder primarily, because you know, you're almost guaranteeing that the parent is not going to be, um, emotionally available. Yeah. Right. So you have a child who, uh, the needs are not being met. Um, you know, cues are not being picked up. Mm-hmm. And depending on that child's age and development, uh, may connect the wrong dots, mm. right? So a child's very young and they see their parent um, without the uh, drug of choice in them, may think that they're way more fun when they're wasted. Uh. You'll see those, you'll have those kind of conversations. They're way more relaxed. And they're connecting those dots. Uh-huh. Or you have the child who's just completely 
clueless to the fact of what's going on and just thinks this is what life is. And so they pick up these cues um, and mirror, I call, you know, that, that mirror alcoholism. Like mm. their behaviors, even though they haven't taken a drink or a drug, are that of an alcoholic wow. or a drug addict. Mm. And it's, this is what normal is. So mm. there's that ripple effect, the family system, um, when I was doing DWI court in Victoria County, um, I worked with those individuals, mm-hmm. right? And they're, you know, they're talking about their addictions and they're talking about what's happened to their family and their healing and the family isn't not as not, you know, they finally got help, but it's taking much longer for the kids, for the wife. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and I, I understand that. Uh-huh. More than people know uh-huh. when it comes to this. I, I this essentially the reason why I do what I do yeah. is because I was raised in a household like that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm you know classic story, right? Anybody that that works in this field, yeah, uh, you know, has that type of experience. Yeah. Um, no, not really. I, I just know that there are a lot of us uh, that work in this field because we have somehow been impacted. There's oh, a lot of us. Totally. Yeah. Um. And, you know, for me, and I can remember, you know, going back, you know, in the 80s, we're going back. I like talking about the 80s, apparently. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, <laughs> but being that little kid, you know, on a Saturday morning, uh, sitting in my living room before anybody else is awake mm. in this house where, you know, substance use disorder exists. Uh-huh. And, you know, that, you know, how in, in the mornings that light, that gray light would uh-huh. come in. And you'd watch the sunrise or whatever. Uh-huh. I was the only one up, uh, and uh, everybody else was out, you know. Yeah. And I'm looking across at my neighbor. We had this big, huge, like this kind of window times uh-huh. two, just a, uh-huh. the whole wall. It seemed like when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, I looked at my neighbors across the street, and they were all dressed up. Yeah. You know, they were all dressed up, and you know, uh, what is that? Pleats, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, and jeans. and clothes were washed and everything was pressed and they looked mm. good. I didn't know where they were going, but mm. I, I I saw them do this and they they leave and they get into their car that was washed, yeah, right, and they go off, uh-huh. and then they come back all together again. Oh, right, right, right. and then they did they, they change their clothes. <laughs> And go outside and work together on the yard. Uh-huh. And I remember being a little kid. I'm like maybe eight or nine, uh-huh. not even. And I'm thinking, those people are weird. Mm. Uh-huh. They're so gross. They're so gross. Because meanwhile, uh-huh. you know, I got my sister who's waking up in the morning. Uh-huh. And she's fumbling around and, you know, uh-huh. and there's my dad who's still kind of out of it and, and they're kind of waking up and she's going into my dad's room, just, you know, get yeah. what she needs and he's going to be waking up soon to get what he needs to yeah. be okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like that is, but yeah. they're weird. Right. <laughs> right. They're because, the one. Because it is your normal. That's my normal. Because, and that's, that's the way this works is yeah. you become hardwired yeah. for a normal. Right. For the dysfunction. Right. Yeah. You don't even know what you're, what you're experiencing. Mother's milk. Yes. That's, and that's when we talk about the insidiousness of, of this and the, that generational trauma. Yes. And it being passed on and passed on and passed on until someone finally stops and says, this is not okay. This isn't normal. But I don't even know it's not normal until I tell that secret. Yeah. And I never did, y'all. Mm. I went, I went... I'm not even lying to you. So I show up at school. I'm in Catholic school at that time. I'm, you know, and um, my mother told me later the reason why she stuck me in that private school is because she wanted me to have some idea of God because she knew it wasn't present in our house. Whoa. She took all of her money, every bit, and put us, yeah. She knew that it was that dysfunctional. Isn't it? That's amazing. Looking back, wow. it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. She was so sick. I mean, all of them. So sick, and that's why there can be that. That is what's hard about this is that even for the one who's so sick that can't really break out of the dysfunction, there's still some humanity there. Mm-hmm. Like there's still moms mm-hmm. who who do have a sense of love for their child, but it's really maladaptive. It's so, yeah, traumatizing. Well, 
in this situation, and this is in the 80s again, and when I showed up to school, they quickly went to my mother and said, you know, I think that Jessica um, has been, is, is, needs a diagnosis. We think that she's mentally retarded. What? We hmm. think that she's autistic, maybe, but there's something there, and she needs to be screened for both. And I, they didn't even know what trauma looked like. Wow. They didn't even understand because I couldn't talk. Oh. I couldn't form sentences. And how old were you? I was at that time. I was in the third grade. Wow. Mm. So you grade. were just so neglected that, yeah, you would, yeah, you you functioned by watching, moving out of the way, making sure you didn't hurt or harm, pretending, pretending, pretending a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. daydreaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think about those experiences and what it was like for me. Mm-hmm. And not only me, but my sister as well. Yeah. And who, to even today, my sister is still in active addiction. You older mm-hmm. or younger? Younger. Interesting. Yeah. It's just one of those things where I'm just so grateful to be able to do what I do yeah. and to talk about it when we talk about the ripple effect. Yeah. And then I grow up. And then what, how do I show up? Yeah. I've got two boys. Right. Right. They're like boys. Yes. And... How am I present for them? Yeah. What do I do? You know, what are my expectations for me? Yeah. How is this going to, how is those, how do those experiences show up? Yes, because they do. I mean, you know, like we've said a million times on the podcast already, our listeners have heard, but neurons that, you know, wire together, fire together, or fire together, wire together. And, um, and it is, it, it, it is all, you know. Your earliest attachments are what you then become physiologically, physiologically and biologically wired for. So it will show up mm-hmm. as hard as you try to fight. It's almost like the more you try to fight it, the more they show up. So you kind of have to accept that, hey, at some point you go, step one, my life became unmanageable. I was powerless over you know, alcohol or dysfunction or disease, whatever the powerlessness is. <laughs> You, you come to terms of recognizing I can accept there was a problem and I don't know how to manage this. That is the same for that first step is the same for the addict as it is for the, for the one suffering in it. Hmm. Um, people on the podcast also know I'm totally active in Al-Anon. I love Al-Anon. I think it's a great... Um, program of care for friends and families of alcoholics or substance abusers, sex addiction. We have people in my recovery group whose, you know, husbands or wives are um, battling sex addiction. And one of the things that I think was so helpful for me is to learn that this disease is a family disease. And when you're all breathing in toxic air, you all get sick. It's like you're in a home with toxic mold. So you might not be the one hitting the crack pipe, but you're literally breathing the same air. You might not be the one putting your lips to the bottle every morning, but you really are breathing the air of addiction because you're getting all of that dysfunction and energy or lack of it. You're getting the lack of connection, which is its own trauma, that neglect, um, that emotionally unavailable guardian who can't see you. You don't have time for you. They don't want you. Um, And Al-Anon is a great place of care for that. Give us for, for the, for those listening who may have a family member, a kid who is struggling in this area of Mm. addiction or abuse or Mm -hmm. misuse, all the words, (laughs) just all the things. Um, give us the top three don't do's and the top three do's. Well, and this one, there are so many awesome resources. You know, I think we've really raised some amazing questions, which is misuse, substance use disorder. What is this? I just know that my child or my loved mm-hmm. one is doing this um, and not being honest about it. Yeah. It scares me, you know. Um, the first thing to do is to understand 
that it really has nothing to do with them. That's an Elanon thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? They didn't, what, you don't create it. You didn't cause it. Ah. You can't control it and you cannot cure it. That's it. I mean, that is, you know, don't you dare internalize this and think this has to do with you. There's nothing you can say, essentially, if this person really does have substance use disorder that's going to get them into treatment. Yeah. This is really a judgment call for them. Yeah. I've had so many families that come to me and say, what do I do? And so I point, we have one resource that I use uh, that I really, really like, and it's a partnership for drug-free kids. Um, And when I say kids, they're talking about ages, you know, 12 to 25. Mm -hmm. 25 to them is still a kid, which is great. That they can contact free help, right? You can go online and they have even support groups for this. Yeah. Nice, uh, you know, and it happens, I think, twice or three times a week for the families that are impacted by these decisions. They have people that they can call. There's, there's, there's a phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an app where you can text. You text in, and they're going to ask you 10 questions, essentially, through partnership mm-hmm. uh, about what they know of their child's or loved one's substance use. And it will send them two texts a day mm-hmm. on how to handle the situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they're facing. And, and it's, it's developed based off of how they answer. Wow. Right. We'd love to link that on our website, yeah. too, if you're listening and you want that number or that resource. We'll make yeah. sure to link that on the podcast notes. Yeah. But don't you dare think for, for one second this is, you know, yeah, this is a situation where, uh, you know, if you just push harder, they'll yeah. they'll clean up their act. Well, and the truth of the matter is by that time, it's a little late. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's late to, I don't mean that it's, it's hopeless. I just mean to try to step in and be hero mom and, and manage everything for your child uh, when really what they're seeking is connection and a way to have that really an awesome dopamine hit. Mm. Um, their body, we were made for connection. We're, we're made for relationship, and we can get um, dopamine from one another. We can have experiences t- together that unlock and release a sense of exuberance and, and joy. Now, we don't get it all the time, and someone with substance use disorder wants it all the time. Yeah. And so then it becomes how do we handle, you know, in a family system, it's like how do we handle just the everyday mundane? It's you know it's so much mistress, misdirected instinct mm. with the person affected, uh-huh. right? It's so tricky being that family member because like you're talking about like, you know, if I just provide enough connection, uh-huh. if I just provide a comfortable environment, then they'll see that life can be better, yeah. and they'll stop. Yeah, and that's so dangerous. You, the person, the family members who are in front of the disease like that have no idea what type of monster this can be. And they have to understand that this is the disease and not the person. Oof, this yeah. is the disease and not the person. And they have to separate those two things. I don't know about you, but when you talk about Al-Anon, maybe I need an Al-Anon meeting. Golly. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Like you, would, it's, you would love it. To well, create that yeah. type of distance. Yeah, it's called loving detachment. That's right. That's what we talk about. Exactly. And not take that type of ownership. Yeah. And for me, that was hard to do as a kid. I wasn't developed. I didn't didn't have that type of depth or understanding. You weren't supposed to. Exactly. (laughs) Right? Right? Mm -hmm. But here's the deal. Right. Now you do. Well, if I keep those secrets. And that's the thing, right? Oh, my gosh. So you turn, you know, I I start getting older. Yeah. And I'm carrying those secrets around. Oh, I know about those and secrets, girl. I create girl. a family now. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be better. Oh, yeah. You're working. Uh-huh. You just... Exactly. You I'm are so much an Alan honor. I'm so See, much smarter. Some, yeah. of, some of us don't realize there's many, we call them double winners in our program mm-hmm. because we have the one who's been to rehab seven times for addiction, but their first disease, their first disease was Al-Anon. Mm. Because they learned to take care of the addict. They learned to protect the addiction. They learned to keep the secret. 
they learned how to look perfect. Yeah. And that's a disease. That's my disease. I mean, hey, give me a problem. Problems are like crack. I, you know, I love to fix a problem. I like to look at it 500 different ways, figure out a new solution, and let's do it. The problem is I learned that because I interpreted that people were problems. Mm. And people aren't problems. People are human beings. And I had to learn to love differently once I started to accept addiction is the problem. You know, the person is not the problem. But that takes 12 steps <laughs> over and over and over again mm. my whole life. It will take those plus a myriad of in good therapy to continue yeah. recognizing um, the problem that, that we're facing is very insidious. It and, and it's sometimes it does, it does wear skin. Um, and that's hard to detach the person, you know, especially if you're a child who suffered, um, under it, but, you know, to the mom or to the grandparent who keeps paying the rent (laughs) and keeps, um, I think they call that enabling, man, it's so like, it's so hard not to do because you keep thinking I can give more and then they'll the light. But you can love in a way that doesn't enable. Yeah. You can do that. Yeah. But it's tough. Um, when we talked about it some, but what other uh, abuses then, if there are parents who are using in the home and are addicted, um, what other types of things is this letting in to the family system? Well, I, you know, when we talk about those are re- relational issues later on mm-hmm. for the children, you, you know, um, w- there's a, another program you talked about, Al-Anon, but ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Mm. It's another 12-step group, I believe, um, that deals with that. And they have something called the laundry list. Mm. Um, I take a peek at that quite often. Okay. Um, and I've referred people to that to that program. Um, but it talks about these certain types of behaviors that, that, that come out of um, children who have lived in uh, situations where substance use disorders present. Mm. And um, man, it knocked my socks off when so I read what, it. So what are some of those Did oh, you off the top man. of your head? Not to out yourself. It breaks my heart. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, when I just looked at it, because they give you like this little bookmark mm. or whatever to, to take a peek at, but um, you know, the whole reason why I was an educator, I, I was an educator for about a decade. Mm. Like the whole reason why I was in education was completely for the wrong reasons. Oh, we were right? just trying to save everybody. Right? <laughs> I know. I get it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm there. <laughs> like, why didn't I know this thing existed right. before? Um, I spent all that money in college, but whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a good. Ex- I do love kids. So, yeah. you know, me being in this in this position today, there's it's there's there's no wrong turns here. Yeah, none. God knows. Totally. Right. Oh man. And yes. so, uh, but nonetheless, my behaviors and the way that I act and behave and what my motives are mm-hmm. emanated. From mm. back then. Wow. From back then. And yeah. so, yeah, when we talk about like left untreated. Yes. Not analyzed, not discussed. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm a helper. Yes. I'm a helper. I'm yeah. going to help you. Yes. Oh, and, my gosh. Uh, and, you know, and the deal is, is that, you know, fast forward in my life and, you know, I'm, I'm older now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm about to turn 40. Yay. Actually, in like two Congrats. weeks. Um, I'm excited about that. It's a good turn. It is a good turn. Yeah. Uh, is about five years ago, I lost my father to his, mm. right, to his addiction. So it's, mm. and it was uh, one of the situations mm. where, um, you know, where you're talking about put the oxygen mask on you. I know. And take care of you. I was working in prevention mm. and having to take that hat off and, you know, and volunteering and, and working with people that had, you know, driving them to if they needed a meeting or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to the doctor, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then here's my family that can't get it yeah. right i know Ugh. so i took a good two years of yeah. you know just not seeing other people not dating not anything and mm-hmm. really reeling it back in mm-hmm. practicing that self-care and getting the help that i needed good to be able to do what i do yeah and it's it was so necessary yeah it's really brave work to take care of ourselves if you are if you have 
been impacted by addiction um, on either side of it, learning how to love ourselves and take care of ourselves is, is balm. I mean, it really is a healing uh, way forward. When I think about some of our, some of the stories we have held of some of the women um, who've come through here who are products of families that, you know, where neglect um, was happening because of addiction. Um, one of the things that surprised me the most about trafficking is that most trafficking happens from a family member or someone you know, like you would consider a boyfriend or, you know. Um, And one of the first stories that we heard, you know, there was a woman, she's 27 years old. She had four children. um, And we met her in the clubs. And, you know, she was just like, no, I, you know, chose to be here. You know, I'm, you know, stripping. And and we're like, okay, we've got this program access. So she comes through access. She starts disclosing a little more of her story. And um, her mother was a crack addict. And she grew up in the Midwest. And, um, and her mother used crack and had eight children. And she was the oldest of the eight. And when she turned 12 and started developing, um, she would, before then, she would go down to the end of the street and she would get the drugs for her mom from the drug mules, you know, and or dealer or whoever, and bring them back to her mom. But when she started developing around 11 or 12, um, she was the money. Mm-hmm. And so her first trafficker was her mom. So when we're talking about addiction and substance order, misuse, um, disease, it can ravage a woman. It can ravage a child. It can let in so much um, really just dark evil. I mean, the quote best case scenario, which even isn't like you can't compare trauma. It's not, you know, apples to apples here. Um, there's no scale, but when you're talking about compounding it, mm-hmm. so you've got neglect right, and possibly verbal abuse, maybe right. physical abuse. And now there's external sexual abuse. Oh, now you're being sold and now you're a trafficking victim. Correct. That is a recipe for so much trauma in a life that takes a lifetime of work to undo. Not impossible, but so, so hard. I love the models that are coming out these days when it comes to this. There's so much more education. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago when we had, we were just learning about uh, women who had been trafficked. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know of situations where they would say, well, let's tackle the, you know, the, your substance use disorder first. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, some of the models that are coming out now um, talk about co-occurring mm. disorders, mm-hmm. comorbidity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, facilities are being created mm-hmm. for these types of stories yeah. that help is actually available. Yeah. Because it is so intertwined and so entangled. Which one came first? Yeah. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And the great part about this is, is that as long as you're true to your story mm-hmm. and you walk in when you ask for help, that help will be available. Yeah. That's the biggest deal. It's not one or the other. It's this is what's happened. Yeah. And I want to get better. Yeah. And also, and... It is a both and. And I love that you mentioned story because I think that as people listen to this and have listened to our series, I hope it helps to awaken hope in you if this is part of your story, if this is part of your friend's story or your husband's story, or there's been generational addiction in the family. Um, Maybe this helps you see the patterns a little more clearly and gives you hope to know that you don't have to roll over and, and and die with it. There is a way and there is help available. Um, Jessica, where can we find more if people want to look at VASA and look at becoming involved? Where can our listeners find that information? We have a website, uh, voiceinc.org, that you can go and look. We're uh, one of the largest prevention programs in the state of Texas. 
we serve over 20 counties with our prevention services. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go into the schools and we talk to kids about the dangers of drugs and alcohol. We, we, we provide referrals for additional resources if, it, if, you know, if they need more than just mm-hmm. that prevention education, if they need counseling as well. Um, we stay involved with them. Um, my, you know, they wrote for a tiny little grant for me for this coalition. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in, in, in changing the culture in McLennan County and making this more, uh, you know, drug-free friendly, mm-hmm. and you want to do something about it, if you're a helper. Mm-hmm. Lots of helpers <laughs> out there. Like me, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I hope to be in a more healthy helper way. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, is sign up, join up, join our coalition. We're, we're looking for those, those community collaborations. We're looking for opportunities for adults who have maybe experienced this stuff mm-hmm. and, and want a, a, a different way. Yeah. And there are ways here. That's the yeah. coolest part. I love Waco. Mm-hmm. I have fallen in love with this, this, this city. That's it's awesome. a good place. Yeah. And, um, and the, 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 the schools, the, mm-hmm. the recovery here yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like what you're talking about. Mm. Like there's, if you have a problem, there is help. Yeah. And so partnership for drug-free kids, mm-hmm. if you're wanting something more anonymous, mm-hmm. meaning you don't have to like, you know, tell people your business because mm-hmm. that sometimes is an issue. Sure. Like, you know, I understand. I get it. And I didn't want to talk about it either. Um, you can access those resources uh, through partnership for drug-free kids and okay. they'll give you the text line and all that good stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. That's amazing. Well, Jessica, we want to thank you for joining us. This has been so informative and yet also personal. And again, um, I hope you learned a lot and I hope that you come away from this podcast with a sense that there is hope for those of us who are struggling with addiction. And thank you for serving our community. Yes. Thank you. Glad you're here. And uh, I love Victoria, too, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Used to have a deer ranch down there we would go hunt. Good memories. Good memories. memories. We're glad you're here in Waco. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.